This is the More to the Story podcast with Dr. Andy Miller. We hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation. Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I'm glad that you're here. There's great content coming your way from Dr. Joy Moore. I think you're going to be blessed by what you hear from her. Uh, Just a wonderful way of telling the story of scripture and what's happened in her own story and the way God used that and is using that through her vocation. So I want you to know, those of you who've been uh, following our podcast for a while, I really appreciate all the feedback we get, the opportunity you take to share, to like, to subscribe, all of those things really help us get the word out more. So if you can do that, it means a lot to me and it helps us spread the word more. Also, I'm thankful to people who have helped sponsor this podcast, an anonymous donor, WPO Development, Bill Roberts. Um, you can find links to information for these folks in the show notes. They they believe in the ministry of this podcast. And they've helped me a lot. Also, if you join my email list, I'll send you a free re- resource that can be used for people preparing to preach and teach in their churches. It's something that helps you exegete scripture faithfully, but has a kind of creative angle to that. And those of you listening to Joy Moore will uh, today, as you listen to this podcast, you're going to find that's something that we need to do and we are called to do as believers. Thanks again for coming and checking out this podcast. Enjoy this conversation with Joy Moore. Oh, this is going to be a great episode. I'm so glad that you all came along. This is a delight to be able to welcome our guest today. And I just know those of you who are in ministry, those of you who are interested in preaching, are going to love our time with Dr. Joy Moore. Joy, welcome to the podcast. Oh, I'm so glad to be here with you, Andy. Thank you for having me on. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, just so everybody knows, we can get the, make sure people know where you're serving, what you're doing. Joy it was appointed as the first non-Lutheran female African-American to serve as a vice president for academic affairs and dean of the faculty at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, where she also serves as a professor of biblical preaching. On top of that, she is an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church in the annual conference of the Michigan Annual Conference, and she's served at a variety of seminaries across the country. God has used her powerfully as a preaching professor, administrator, and pastor. So, Joy, that's a lot there, but it uh, that's part of why I wanted to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I remember he- hearing your story back in, when I we were semin- I was a seminary student. I almost said we were seminary students. You were a professor. <laughs> I was a seminary student. I once was a seminarian, though, too. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It did happen. Yes. Um, and I, I remember you talking about your call to preach and teach and all that was involved in that. And I'd just like to take a little bit of time for my audience just to get to know you, you here at the start of this podcast. Sure, sure. Well, let's see. Um, I was born nine months after my life began. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> um, I'm too old to start that far back. So let okay. me... Back up again. Yeah. No, um, I had the privilege of uh, being raised in uh, a non-denominational church where we were taught our responsibility as Christians. Uh, in fact, uh, as part of a lectionary podcast that uh, we do, uh, can I do a plug for our, oh, our work? Do it, please. We want people to pick up these things. Yeah. Uh, working, working Preacher podcast. Uh, we were just doing, and one of the verses was the verse um, that I was taught when I was a kid, that we are ambassadors for Christ. Yes. And as a child, um, our Sunday school teachers, our pastor, the leaders in our church just made us know our responsibility as Christians. And so um, I just knew that as a Christian, my job was to, you know, be a witness 
in the world for the presence and promise of Jesus Christ. And uh, so when I was um, about uh, about 13, I was in the prayer room uh, in our church, and uh, I, I just in, in grade school had learned about an unabridged uh, dictionary, and what was there was an uh, altar Bible, but it was so huge, I thought, this must be an unabridged Bible with all of God's <laughs> words. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so I took seriously whatever I was going to read, and like so many others in their call, I read the sixth ch chapter of Isaiah, the call mm. of Isaiah. Yeah. And at 13, I took that for me when I read, who will go for us and whom shall we send? I was like, here am I, Jesus. You can depend on me. Amen. Um, and then I went to high school and found out that if you said you wanted to be a preacher, you had just given up on being popular. <laughs> so I renegotiated the contract. I was like, God, you said teach, right? Not reach. <laughs> so I got my uh, undergraduate uh, degree in uh, elementary education and in mathematics, and I taught middle school math. Okay, and okay. Uh, yeah, and then God wouldn't let me go. Just uh, God just kept tapping on my shoulder. You made me a promise and you know what it was, and I'm holding you to it. Yeah. And uh, so um, I, I made a deal with God. I said, okay, I'll get involved in church. And at that time, I was in a Baptist church, and my pastor sent us to seminary. And uh, asked how I wound up at uh, Garrett, which okay, is okay. a Methodist school, and I found out my theology was Wesleyan. Okay. And then, of course, in seminary, you have to do uh, field ed or supervised ministry, mentored ministry. They go by all kinds of name, but you know, it's where you actually have to have the uh, a field experience. And um, I found that I could do it in campus ministry. Okay. And that seemed to be a perfect bridge. God wanted me in ministry and I wanted to be on the campus. So it was like, okay, put me there. So I did an internship as a, a college chaplain and, uh, and then wound up going back there uh, as the chaplain uh, at Adrian College. And okay. from there in, in just an incredible story that's an, for another time, um, um, was introduced to Maxie Dunham, who was then the president at Asbury Seminary, who brought me to Asbury to do what I call my birth certificate. Um, I was the director <laughs> of women and ethnic ministries. Okay. And then, uh, when, right <laughs> Hold before, up. So yeah. you say that again. So it, it was my birth certificate. Birth certificate, like you did what? <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah back up a second. Some of my folks, I, I, I come from the Chicago area, and you were, you grew up in Chicago, right? Now, before going to Adrian College, which is in Michigan, right? Right. Before going there, was everything in the Chicago area? Everything teaching? was in Chicago. I taught and went to, uh, I went to college in uh, a seminary in Evanston, Illinois, which is a suburb nor north of Chicago. Right. And, uh, and, and got introduced to Michigan because of that internship uh, at Adrian College. Interesting. And so then did, did you end up working at Adrian College as well? So, yeah, so I did my internship at Adrian, recognized uh, that uh, I was going to go into the um, a Methodist church. So I began to process uh, through the Methodist system for ordination and uh, served a, a church in Michigan. Because back then, uh, when I got ordained, if, even if you were going to be a chaplain, you had to serve a church first. And I fell in love with the church. Wonderful congregation there. 
And, um, and then I got a call inviting me to uh, apply for the chaplaincy at Adrian College. Okay, and, so I'm sorry, uh, I missed that little gap, that, that switch there. Okay. So yeah. in the chaplain's role, were you, was there a, like a weekly chapel or a couple of chapels yeah. a week that you were responsible for? Okay. We had a weekly chapel. We had um, a, a group of seminarians that were uh, preparing for, excuse me, I said seminarians. We had a group of undergraduates who were preparing for seminary. Uh, interestingly enough, a number of them went to Asbury before I went to Asbury. Interesting. You know, so I was their chaplain. They graduated and went to Asbury. And then um, I got invited to come to Asbury and, and they were students there. So they were mine again. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. two times yeah. yeah yeah so that was great yeah and that was how um that was how i i actually got truly immersed in um ministry seminary uh a campus ministry seminary um and uh, while i was at asbury they were looking for preaching professors okay and uh so um i uh applied for uh the position and applied for a PhD program and got accepted in both. Uh, so went to London and um, I had the privilege of working with Tom Wright wow. and uh, doing, doing my uh, PhD work. And then I uh, came back to um, uh, Asbury. And then, as you said, my uh, um, um, Will Willimon said, uh, I've taken itineracy too seriously. <laughs> But I've had the privilege of, uh, of truly having the world be my parish, you know, from Chicago to Michigan, Kentucky, North Carolina, California, uh, the UK. Uh, it, it's just been a wonderful opportunity uh, to serve God uh, and to um, be able to walk with people as they are discerning their call and vocation for life. Wow. So it's so uh, you mentioned studying with Tom Wright. And so some of people know that means she's really on the inside because she didn't call him N.T. Wright. Those <laughs> you might recognize his name there. Tell, tell us just, I mean, give us a little thumbnail sketch of your dissertation. Was it in uh, preaching or was it in another? Well, subject? it was in practical theology. Okay. Practical theology. And um, uh, it, it, um, uh, he wasn't accepting students at that time. And I knew that I had a friend who really wanted to study with them. And so she told me, she said, he's not accepting students. So you've got to ask him the question, right. And, and so I met him, uh, some of the uh, faculty at Asbury made it where I could meet with him at, at society for biblical literature. And I had that privilege and he basically talked to me not allowing me to ask him what I wanted so that he could say, look, I'm not accepting any, any students. And when right. he thought he had communicated that, he said, so you probably didn't hear what you wanted to hear today. And I said, and, and I'm not even going to try to fake a, a British accent. Um, <laughs> and so I said, I said, um, actually, I haven't asked you what I wanted yet. And I caught his attention when I said that. Oh, and so when I started, my intent was um, to um, explore how a scholar of his level, at that time, he was interacting with Dominic Crossan and um, they were uh, Marcus Borg and they were doing the history of Jesus right. uh, and uh, the historical Jesus. Right. And um, I wanted to know, he was also at that time serving as the canon at Westminster. Right. And you know, people go there as a tourist attraction and they sit in chapel for a few, you know, for a short service. 
And so I wanted to know how did he move from that scholarly work in biblical interpretation to uh, a, a message that was reaching people who didn't know that they had an open space in their heart to know the creator God. Right. And that was how I started. And working with him, he introduced me to um, that um, five-act play and the story of God. And I, at that time, the way he told the story, he began with Israel because he was doing his work on Paul. Right, right. And so he started with Israel. And I was so captivated by the story. I was like, well, why don't we begin with God? Why don't we begin with Genesis 1 rather than Genesis 12? Hmm, interesting. Yeah. And so um, my degree is actually in practical theology with the focus in, in biblical preaching. <laughs> and what I did was I looked at um, the story of scripture and uh, the official title is um, narrating a canonical witness because oh, you, there know, you go. You got to call it something big like that. Narrating a canonical witness. It's a homiletic for the 21st century. Interesting. And using the word canonical, is that like engaging like Brevard Childs, that type of idea, like canonical criticism? Okay, interesting. That's exactly it. So I, I got into Childs um, and then that led me uh, into uh, Richard Hayes and okay. a number of the Yale scholars that had gone to Duke. And uh, and then um, I, I did... Uh, two pieces of venture from that um, because I was studying post-modernity as well. And so working with words and how now words mean what we say they mean. And so in my work, what I tried to convey is that I can tell my story as a woman mm -hmm. or as a person of color. I can tell my story out of that particular experience and you and I can be uh, uh, at odds as you are not, uh, you know, as you are a white male. Right. And right. I, as a African-American woman, European man, coming back and forth, we are at odds. But if we tell our story as those who have been baptized in the name of Jesus, that language that Paul used, it becomes the church's story together. And so what I described is the church as a post-modern, um, uh, no, um, I was using uh, post-liberalism, George Limbeck's post-liberalism. So I call the church a post-liberal event. Okay, interesting. Because we have a story to tell that doesn't divide us, but actually brings in that beloved community of every nation, every tongue, every tribe, cross-economic uh, 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 status that society sets up as we take on our identity as created in the image of God. Interesting. So when I and first so interacted with you- I, I, No, I'm jumping over you. Oh no, sorry. I think there's a little bit of a, a delay. So sorry if, if it seems like folks were interrupting each other. I think it's just, so go ahead, I'll go ahead. Yeah, no, so there's, um, there's that question of what does it mean to preach so that when we're preaching, we're telling the story of God rather than telling people what to do. Interesting. That is a huge change. Now, I remember about the time you were probably working on this, and I remember this was kind of like the last gas of the Jesus Seminar as N.T. Wright was a part of that. That was a, I was a, in that period at Asbury Seminary while you were there. I remember you came to a one class that we did, and I think Tony Headley had you come in, and um, 
you you said something like, um, "All right, tell me what it means to be black. Tell me what it means to be white." I mean, I, you're shaking your head. I think you probably know. You remember, you've probably done this multiple times. And we went on for minutes, all kinds of things, talking about culture and hair and uh, you know dress and style and all kinds of things. And I remember a pretty clear moment. I don't know if we, you would say it the same way now. But you came back to saying, like, where do we find our identity? And we, to be white, it, in the very essence, is to be European, a European uh, descent, and to be black is to be of African descent. Everything else, and I remember this clear moment where you're just like, point at, after we had spent 20 minutes telling you, and every, everybody was telling each other, and we had people from all over the world in that class, what it meant, you're like, everything else is stereotypes. So I still say that. Yes. Wow. And that was a that was a powerful moment for me. That that goes against, I think, where some of the discussion is in our time. Like we would say, no, there, there's more to it. There's a, a case for me being an oppressed group or me being an oppressor or all kinds of other things that would come into it beyond that. Um, th th I guess that fits into the same idea as to who we are, the story that is being told in the preaching event as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if I, if I can do a deviate right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Just a little bit. Um, when I was interviewing to be the chaplain, to, to, to actually be the chaplain at Adrian College, there was a student who um, was really excited. He was about 19 years old. And, um, you know, by then I had um, my master's, I I'd pastored churches for, for several years, and uh, he wanted me to know how absolutely thrilled he was that I was the chaplain, how absolutely thrilled he was that I, as a woman, was the chaplain, as a person of color, was the chaplain. And then he said about himself, I'm so sorry that I was born male. Wow. I'm so sorry that I was born to a family of economic means. Mm. I'm so sorry that I was born white. I am so sorry that I was born heterosexual. And I, I stopped him and I said, what are you getting at? And he said, well, you, you know, you have to deal with so much. And I stopped him and I said, wait a minute. I said, I don't think you understand. I'm not a victim. Mm. In Jesus Christ, I have the victory. Amen. And he didn't know what to say to that. And what, what I found, now that, that, was back, um, that was back in the early 90s. Okay. And, and what I found is that even today, that there are a lot of progressives who still have this idea of what it means to be a marginalized group. And the truth is they put into stereotypes and maybe I should say we, because that's not just a prerogative of one group. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. all listen to the same media. We all buy the same stereotypes as your yes. class yes. demonstrated. Yes. And, and, and what we do is we say, this is a marginalized people. And we marginalize people by race, by gender, um, by what our society calls sexual orientation, by economic class, you, you name it. 
by political affiliation, by yep. denomination, we find ways to other people so that we can call them victims and help them. Mm. Well, what if I say, you know, in Jesus Christ, we all stand, and I'm gonna use such a cliche, we stand on level ground at the foot of the cross. Yes. And where we receive that abundant love and forgiveness and grace of God demonstrated in Jesus Christ, we together become a glimpse of the beloved community of every nation, every tongue, every tribe. And in the first century when that happened, people said, what's with them? Because mm. they are not following Greek and Roman culture. They've abandoned the caste system. They've abandoned the class system. They've abandoned the male versus female. They, they are doing it all wrong. And they seem to be enjoying themselves. <laughs> we should be having the same effect in the 21st century as they had in the first century. Wow. You know, that's one of the unique things I, I love about, and, and, and those of you know, like Joy has actually taught too, adjunct for us here at Wesley Biblical Seminary, and just just did so this past January, um, at least in like a lecturing capacity. It was great to have you in there. Uh, I think like where things are working, it's incredibly beautiful and attractive. And, and I, I, I can't help but highlight Wesley Biblical at this moment because we have an incredible diversity. 61% of our, our students are non-white, 45% are female. Um, and so what, what's unique about that is like, you think, okay, well, we've worked really hard to make sure everything is just perfect. Like everybody feels completely represented and we're not saying any of the wrong words. We're sure we probably mess up a lot. And yet we're, surround, we're on that foot of the cross and probably I, I think what's made it successful here at Wesley Biblical is that it's that same perspective you have of us being the beloved community, united in mission, going together. And it is a beautiful, wonderful thing when it works. Where have you, where have you seen it work, Joy, like that? Well, interestingly enough, one of the things, the first time that I, 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 I taught for Wesley Biblical, um, I, I was struck. I even said this to the class. I was struck. I was doing the spiritual formation D men cohort, and I was struck by the diversity in the classroom uh, that 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 you just described in terms of percentages. To be able to say that we were having a real conversation about racial issues, and right. there were pastors from rural white Mississippi talking with pastors from rural black Mississippi. That's right. And urban on both sides of the tracks, yes. if I use that, that, that language. And we were having hard conversations. And at, at the end of the day, we all knew that we had a long way to go. And I just recently uh, finished reading a book by author C. Brooks called Love Your Enemies. Mm. And in that, he makes a statement uh, or he, he makes a case uh, from a statement that um, uh, a Black Lives Matter leader from New York made at a Trump rally in Washington, D.C., I think in September of 2017. And what the um, the Black Lives Matter leader said to the folks that were gathered in DC was, we have to do this together. 
Mm. Now that was a political moment and politics, governments across the world, as we're seeing right now, right, as we're trying right. to figure out what's going on in, in uh, the Ukraine, uh, forgive me, you're, you're gonna have to correct me on that one. Okay, let me say okay. that again. As we try to figure out what's happening in Ukraine, um, and, and just in case you know, it's not the Ukraine. It's in Ukraine. It's Ukraine. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Thanks for, yeah. Absolutely. And so um, as we try and figure out what's going on up there, the reality is this is a moment where the world has to do it together. And if it doesn't start anywhere, the glimpse of it is when the people of God get it right. Yeah. It's when we are every nation, every tongue, every tribe together, not coming together for what one of my students at Fuller said, to give people a kumbaya moment. <laughs> no, it's where we're, here's an example. Um, um, the Habitat for Humanity Project, where people from all works, walks of life come together to build a home, right? Yes. Some people, can build other people don't know how to you know put up wallpaper you know i'm in that group you know yeah, yeah. Me too. tell a hammer from a uh, from a screwdriver um but they all come together with this project in mind and while they're working on that common project they build relationships across lines yeah that's a much more fruitful way of community building than sitting in a room together saying you're a guy, I'm a gal, you're white, I'm black, we got to talk to each other. <laughs> yeah. Because of sin. Yeah. And the church is a place where we come together to hear the story of the creator, mm -hmm. the creator God, whose intention for this world has always been good. Yeah. And it has been to form a community. The only time in all creation God said not like that was when God created the human alone. Yes, yes. And, and, and so God has always been forming a community. And in forming a community, we belong together. We need each other. And if the world is going to see a glimpse of good, we have to do it with each other. Amen. Oh, I love that. Joy, that is a great message right there. I hate to kind of pivot back. I want to go back to Asbury Seminary and there's an interesting switch that happened in your life there where you switch from being a, a chaplain, then working in student development type of areas of Asbury Seminary to get to be a homilex professor and teach preaching. I mean, that's those are two very different things. So talk to me about this move towards, like the sounds like the preach teach thing you heard in high school kept on working its, itself out like through your through your vocation so to talk about this call to teach preachers or a call or this what, what i don't know if you say call maybe what, it's what you call. yeah it's yeah. a call it's 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 my vocational understanding and uh it has become increasingly uh clear to me as as i get older <laughs> i guess um and just you know what where's the place where we make the the biggest impact and Right now, institutions are failing. Mm -hmm. uh, governments, um, theological education, yeah. you know, yeah. everybody's struggling. Denominations, churches, um, even the institution of family is struggling. Institutions, I, I can make that broad statement, 
are, are failing, but the hunger that institutions have tried to meet is still out there. And in the church, we've become an institution that has serviced people and failed to give people their identity as being created in the image of God. And um, somebody's attributed to Plato that those who rule the world tell the stories or those who tell the stories rule the world. Yes. Okay? And that's what we do in, in the moment we call the preaching moment is it's, we don't give rules or give principles. We tell our story. Um, it's what the communion table is. It, 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 when I was a kid, every Sunday we'd go to my grandmother's house and we'd have Sunday dinner. I mean, you, when you've seen those movies in the black community, that really is how many of us grew up <laughs> at, at, at the Sunday dinner table at our, at our grandmother's where the cousins, the uncles and aunts come together and we hear the stories of when our parents weren't perfect, you know, you know, because right. your parents, they try to tell you that they never made mistakes. But when you sit with grandma, grandma tells, oh, I remember when Junior did that. And you're like, yeah. Daddy did that, you know. Well, that's what church is. It's where we sit around the table and we hear the stories of our heritage, the stories of our parents and our foreparents of generations before us, where we became nieces and nephews, where we were adopted in Amen. to a family. And where did we come from? What were our struggles? How did we survive? And if I, if I use the story of the African-American, the enslaved Africans in, uh, on the continent of, uh, of North America and, and, and also in Europe, but, but we'll stay home for a moment. On the continent of North America, um, they were told this religion by their enslavers and they rejected the religion. But having heard the story that revealed this God made known in Jesus Christ, they wanted to know that God and they embraced the God of the Bible. They rejected the religion, right? but they knew they wanted this creator God. And, and that's, that's what's happening in our culture right now is people inside and outside of the church are rejecting the religions, plural, that we have posted in the name of the creator God. But when they have the opportunity, and I say, through the preached word, Amen. through Amen. the proclaimed witness of the God made known in Jesus, they suddenly realize, I want my life to be a chapter narrated into God's story. And for me, that's what preaching is. And so to teach another generation to do that is the calling I sense on my life. Yes. Oh, I love it. And I've just... Uh joined the ranks, so to speak, of, uh, since I left uh, the local church and now serving in the Theological Academy, teaching preaching. It is a thrilling environment. I kind of don't want all my... Now, you and I both serve, served in... Uh, I'm serving in an administrative role right now. I kind of don't want my colleagues to know how happy I am in teaching preachers. I feel like I get, I get to be the one. I get to be the one who teaches preaching. Like This is what people are going to be able to experience going out. So I'd love for you to, you know, and, and now you've done this for a lot longer than me. 
And could you help maybe some current preachers out? What are some things that could help people that are often missed? I think we hear this emphasis that you have in telling the story and realizing we're not just kind of like hammering down truths, but there's a, but there's this invitation, this broad invitation. But what are some other things too that you could encourage us uh, as people who maybe enjoy preaching and, and also preachers themselves? So one of the things that uh, uh, Ellsworth Callis, who... I didn't take preaching from him. I had the privilege of being a, a colleague with him. Um, My teacher, by the way, and I, I think I'm quoting him every day, I feel like. Yes, yes. And I, I didn't have him and I steal from him all the time. Um, but he was he was a wonderful person and an, and an incredible professor. But he used to always have folks uh, read good literature. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love reading, but I have to admit I invite people now to watch good films okay. because it is that telling of a story that reminds us when you go to a movie, they don't tell you, find your character. You know, there's no, this is how to watch the movie. Find the character you identify with. Follow these rules that these characters taught. They don't, they immerse you. They invite you into the story and then you just sit there and you lean in and every once in a while they tell you a truth that you go oh my goodness that's not that's not fiction I need to pay attention to that in my 24 7 365 day a life and that's what we have the privilege of doing if we learn how to invite people into the creator's creation from New, from original creation to new creation. Because we forget our story doesn't begin with the fall. Mm. So mm. remind folks that God is recovering good, not creating good from bad. God is recovering the good we keep shoving aside. We keep pushing right, out right. of the story. God is saying, no, that thread is central to the story. So watching good movies and reading good books and then, um, allow- what are some? Let me interrupt you. If we forget next, yeah. what 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 be uh, what's a movie or two that people preachers should watch? Like if you find out that I didn't watch this movie, you'd be like, Andy, go watch it now. So the Hunger Games. Uh, okay. I the games. Um, uh, sitting down for uh, the Lord of the Rings, and I know that's that's huge. But what's really interesting about both of those is you have a very different experience reading the books from watching the movie and seeing what the um, uh, the filmmakers and the writers did with the actual text is very interesting in terms of what they highlight to preserve the story and yet invite you in visually because that's what our life as Christians is to be. We are to be the video clip of the biblical revelation of God. We're created to bear God's image on uh, on earth. And so we are to live as Jesus did, God in the flesh. Yes. And, and so learning and watching. So those two, uh, are those two, you know, they're, they're more than one movie. Um, yeah, yeah, I yeah. am... I am I am addicted to the Marvel universe. Are you okay? I am. And I I have to admit, 
I'm actually, I, I was on a flight a, a couple of uh, days ago and started the Eternals and I'm going to have to go and finish it. Okay. I was totally against the rewrites. I was like, no, you can't rewrite them. But what I'm finding that they're doing is what I just uh, described. And it's come out of this experience is that they are being faithful to the story so that you have to know or you want to know the original story in yeah. order to understand this new chapter. So there's no loss, but there is the, and I'm gonna to switch to biblical terms. There is this living word. Mm, interesting. And so what we have to learn is how is it that you make people say, okay, I need to know that old story because they keep yeah, referencing yeah. it, but they haven't given it away. Yeah, interesting. And, and so so uh, the Marvel Universe, and, and the other thing about the Marvel Universe is it's sort of like the books of the Bible. 66 independent books written over time Interesting. in yes. different cultures where you have Iron Man, you have Spider-Man, you have um, Doctor Strange, you have, <laughs> you know, over centuries of time, different writers, different cultures, different stories, and yet they all are interwoven together. Yeah. And that's what scripture is, interwoven around the revelation of the creator's God's intention to form a people who experience the good of the creator's uh, creation. I, I, I got redundant in there on purpose. I didn't say it smoothly, but that's what it is. It's yeah. it's the oh, same. Oh man, pick up those. And it's good. I think it gives people permission to do that. Do, do you... Um, what do you think about actually playing video clips in this sermon? That, that That's a controversial point in uh, the Academy of Homiletics. Some people are like, no, no, no. Like when you do that, you're inviting uh, other stories into a story you're trying to tell and you don't know where it's going to take them. So, uh, or, or, or do you just, you think you just tell the story yourself with the kind of the aim of where you're going? What, what What's your, been your experience there? So um, when, when you go to, uh, I, I just had some dental work done. Um, uh, and, um, when you go to the dentist, they have all of these names for your teeth. And, and some of it I found out is so that they can tell the difference between what we call a front tooth and a back tooth. You know, I don't <laughs> yeah. want them pulling the wrong tooth. Right. Right. Amen. Wrong yes. front tooth, right. So they have all of these names when they're working. I don't need to know all of that. But after they've done dental work, I'm curious. And so it's like, I don't want to be a dentist, but could you tell me what number 15 was, right? And, and that's what we want. We want people to hear a sermon that causes them to say, and I'm going to switch categories here. How was that movie made? Mm, interesting. What was the cinematography that got that clip made? And what we tend to do in the sermon is we want to give all of the background yeah, as yeah. opposed to give a movie, a scene, a story that people say, how did you do that? And we do that in Sunday school. We do that in a conversation. So in answer, direct answer to your question, uh, I'm teaching in a Lutheran setting right now. Okay. And so Lutherans have about 11 to 12 minutes 
for All right. what I would call a homily. I, I grew up Baptist. I can't even I can't even welcome you to church in 12 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and and so if that's all the time you have for corporate worship, a three minute video clip, mm-hmm. even a 30 second video clip right. is a digression. Right. But if you make a reference, so one of my references I like to use, and, and, and this I did when, um, when uh, the Hunger Games was uh, uh, on, on the big screen. Right. And I would say, let's revisit the capital city. And of course, if you're a Hunger Games fan, you know, oh, we're, we're about to, you know, uh, go to, to, to find out what's happening in Pan Am and, you know, what, what's happening with the, with, the, uh, with the games, right? But no, that's because your mind is steeped in a Hollywood film. The capital city I'm introducing you to is the capital city where Daniel and the three Hebrew boys were on internship. And when you begin to realize that what you have are the best and the brightest right. who are on, and I'm gonna use another one-liner here, on ethnic scholarship to Babylonian University. <laughs> okay, now that's all yeah. over what I, as an African-American in the academy can talk about. But what that causes people to say is, why would she say that? And because I'm serious about the biblical text, in Sunday school, or if you confront me after church, I'll say, well, in the exile, what the Babylonians did was they took the best and the brightest of the Jews, and they trained them up in the Babylonian way. And that's where we get get introduced to Daniel and his three friends. And so three ethnic scholars at the other culture's school in the capital city where the 12 districts, translation 12 tribes. Yes, yeah. So, So what story is really shaping your imagination? And for the preacher, we have this opportunity to know the New York Times bestsellers list or to know what is headlining in the theaters, to use that language to say those stories are copies of the best story ever. Amen. And that is the Genesis to Revelation story of the creator God demonstrated in the life of Jesus Christ. Awesome. Beautiful. Oh, I, I love how you gave, gave me an example there. That's perfect. Now I interrupted you a second ago. You said read, read good books, you know, and, and watch good movies. Were you going on to something else when I interrupted you? That was about 10 minutes yeah, ago. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, that, that was, a, what, what was the other now, thing? You I'm thankful for that interruption. Oh, good. Great. I, I love it. And I can talk about preaching and, and uh, love doing that uh, all the time. Um, one of the things that, um, and, and this is, um, this is a trick of the trade. Um, you know, we used to talk about you have to have a great hook, you know, mm-hmm. that that opening line that causes people to lean in. Mm-hmm. Well, um, what I've come to recognize, again, from watching good films, uh, particularly in this one, I'm going to add one I haven't mentioned, which was 
um, the Harry Potter series. Yeah. In Harry Potter, when you read book seven, you realize that over the previous books, um, J.K. Rowling has introduced, no, has caused you to ask questions you didn't even know were hanging unanswered until you got to book seven and she tied them all up in a nice little bow. Hmm. She knew, and if you read her story, she'll tell you she knew where she was going. Right. And so it's not just having a great introduction, right? but it's having a great end and making sure that the end and the introduction tie up everything you revealed in the middle tightly in a nice little bow. And I like to use, um, I like to use um, the old film, The Wizard of Oz to describe this. You meet all the characters in the black and white opening. Mm-hmm. And you are convinced of it, even though all of the Technicolor story is the same people and the same characters of characters. Right. But you are convinced of it when you watch the last black and white scene and you go, oh, wow. Yeah. And then you want to watch it again because you want to make sure you catch all of the innuendos. It's a child saying to mommy and daddy, tell me that story one more time. And it's like, oh, if I have to read that story, if I have to watch Frozen one more time, (laughs) right? That's what the biblical stories are. Yeah. They are the scenes that tell us the story of God. And we want to know where we're going and invite people in without giving it all away. So they lean in and suspend their imagination to allow you to create a world that they say, I want to live there. Mm-hmm. Because that's what good films, that's what good stories, that's what good storytellers do. And, and they don't necessarily, you know, they can give it all away. I remember real clear, like watching, um, so excited to see um, uh, the new Star Wars when it came out, like the 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 sequels as they came, and you wonder what's going to happen. Uh, what what what's the story going to be? We know there's these new actors who are involved, but as the yellow letters came on the screen, the first line said, "Oh, I mean, I can't remember it now exactly, but Luke Skywalker is vanished." Right. Well, wow. That's pretty, that's big news. I mean, Luke Skywalker is going to be somehow a part of this. Like he's a part of this story. It's setting the stage for what's going on. It doesn't say you're going to get Luke at the end of this movie, right? And by the end of this, I'm going to tell you how Luke came into this story. And I'll use uh, the something that begins with the letter L and a poem that says L, and then I'll get to the end and then you'll see Luke. But, but there's this definite like intentional move of taking people on some sort of trip, inviting them into this story. But if you start that way by saying you, you you have to know where you're going to, and I think a lot of times it's it's not so clear that preachers do know where they're going. Right, right. And there 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 are some folks for whom the only way they can stay on board is if they you tell them these are my three points. Mm-hmm. But rarely is that how a movie, as you just described, works. And yet people will fork out, uh, you know, like a week's pay to take their family to the theater 
to watch it on the big screen opening weekend and they have to buy popcorn and candy and, you know, get their, their feet sticky from, you know, somebody spilling and all of that, it, rather than wait a couple of months for it to come on. Why? Because they are being drawn in and then they want to buy it so they can watch it at home because while it's not the big screen first time, they can go back and see right. all of the little twists and turns. And that's what we have the privilege of doing. And if we know where we're going and we throw out that teaser, Luke Skywalker has vanished. Yeah. If you throw out that teaser that folks will hold on to, but they also will forget. In Wizard of Oz, we forget that I black know. and white scene until the very end. Mm. And as soon as it comes back, as soon as Luke Skywalker's back in the movie, it's like, oh yeah, that's right, he's been gone. Yeah. And they don't have to tell us, oh, remember, we told you at the beginning. Yes. <laughs> and so one of the things I, I like to say to folks, um, I work with media. And um, I say that. Oh, and, like when people ask you what you do, you say do you I work do? with media? I work with nice. media. And I say that because my students think the lecture model of teaching is so last century. But if I say I work with media, a lecture, yeah, yeah, sure. Is it is a media, a mediated form of information. But in a storyteller's world, the three-point poem, three points in a prayer, three points in a poem is not nearly as captivating as Luke Skywalker has vanished. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Oh, Joy, this is so good. I think I need to have a part two. And I only, I'm, I'm already up to the time with that I asked for from you. Um, I always, the, the name of my podcast is More to the Story because we want to go deeper with people's stories. I have to interrupt you. I love that title. That's so, you, you stole that from me. I should have figured oh. more to the story. Well, thank <laughs> I you. I love it. Yeah, it, 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 part of it is like, I, I want to have deeper conversations with people. I want the teaching, like sometimes I, it's not always just conversation. Sometimes it's just me teaching science, me in conversation with folks um, that there's uh, an, on our culture, we're not able to have substantive conversations. And I think like some of the big podcasters of our time have, have really caught on to this, hence they have like three, four hour long podcasts. But I also, I also see it in a theological sense that uh, there's, in, in our tradition, we've emphasized the work that God does in sanctifying grace. And so there's more to the story than just getting your sins forgiven. There's the way God wants to sanctify us through and through. So I, I th that's the idea behind more to the story. But I also like to ask this question, Joy, is there, is there something, is there more to the story with Joy? Now we've heard a lot about you. We know the movies you like, we know where you're from, but what's something that people generally don't know about you that you'd be willing to share? Yeah. That, that's not supposed to be such a hard, hard question, is it? Um, what do people not know about me? Are you a Bears fan, being from Chicago? Uh, I, I, I'm not a big football fan. Okay. Uh, um, though um, uh, my niece plays uh, women's soccer, and so I'm being educated in the real football as our- Oh, our yeah, sure, yeah. Um, um, what people probably wouldn't know about me is I'm from the South side of Chicago and I'm a Cubs fan. Oh, wow. Well, good. Good. Yeah. I'm a Cubs fan because two reasons. Uh, the first one is very practical. And that is 
Chicago public schools would take kids to uh, baseball games and the Cubs played during the day. Yeah. <laughs> and so you get there to were no lights. <laughs> yeah, you get to go to Wrigley Field during the day. But my dad was a Cubs fan because of Ernie Banks. Oh, right. And, okay, and let me my, ask this question. I have uh, right here on my wall, I have a, art, uh, a rendering of Wrigley Field. I can't, my, my parents served the Salvation Army in the Andersonville area and then started the Salvation Army in Des Plaines. I graduated high school in that from that area. Um, but I, so I'm, I'm a Cubs fan and a Bears fan. Uh, I, 2016, I can tell you exactly where I was. I was with my boys. I was going to be speaking in Naples, Florida. I let them stay up with me, the next generation of the Cubs fan, to watch that great moment when Chris Bryant he picked up the ground ball. Where were you? Tell me about your, when you, when the Cubs won. Uh, I, 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 where, I don't remember. That. Uh oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call you out. You can't, you can't do that. Uh, you, uh, I, I'll tell you why. Okay. Um, if you talk to any of the high schoolers at the churches that I served, they did not allow me to go to homecoming games because if I root for a team, they lose. Oh, Okay. So I'm a Duke fan because Duke is the only team that seems to be able to win with me as a fan. <laughs> um, and so I didn't watch that game. Uh, it, it, it took me a moment to remember, why didn't I? I didn't watch it because I wanted them to win. And it well, worked. thank you. <laughs> so a friend of mine, and I, I think you know her, Tammy Grimm, yep. she was texting me and she said, I remember now, she said, you can turn on now because there's no way they're going to lose. So I did get to see the very last. Okay. Yes, I, I, well, I'm I, so I glad that you stayed away. Thank you for staying away 108 years. Well, Joy, thank you so much. We appreciate your ministry. And I'll, I'll post some links here. People can find the show notes to your podcast and some of the work that you, you've done. We appreciate what you've done for the church and, and, and kind of like our little sector of it in the evangelical Wesleyan world. It's such a blessing to have you be a part of it. And for the work you've done with Wesley and uh, the, uh, the Wesleyan Summit that we are part of, it means so much to us, Joy. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It was wonderful to be with you again, Andy.